I want you people here this morning to remember Gaius. We don't know much about Gaius other than the fact that he was the man to whom John wrote his third letter. We really have no other way of identifying him because Gaius was one of the common names used at the time. We're familiar with the use of common names. We have a son, John, and there are a lot of Johns uh, in the world. I remember my professor of theology who was named John Murray, and he was talking about John Calvin one morning and some other Johns, and he tossed out the comment that uh, seems like anybody that accomplished anything church these days is named John. Well, uh, we took it the way it was meant, I'm sure, but uh, it's a common name. Well, back in the time when John wrote, Gaius was the common name. Many families would have the Gaius in their midst, and uh, that makes it difficult for us to know much about this fellow. You can find, if you look, four other men named Gaius in the New Testament. I hadn't realized, though, I started digging around a bit, but there's only four of them. There was a man named Gaius, who was a traveling companion of Paul, and uh, was one of the ones seized at Ephesus during that riot that was stirred up by the silversmiths. And uh, then there was a Gaius, uh, who was a native of Derby, who also traveled with Paul. And uh, he may have been the one just mentioned, but we have no way of knowing whether he was or not. Uh, there was a Gaius prominent in the Church of Rome and a host of the whole congregation. There was a Corinthian Gaius that Paul baptized. Was the Gaius to whom Third John was written one of these? It's possible, but we have no way of knowing that either. So it, it seems unwise to make too sharp an, an identification uh, with no more evidence that we have to go on, uh, simply that he shared a very common name. But what we do know about Gaius, we find in this third letter of John, and I find it very, very significant and well worth remembering and I hope you never forget it. Gaius combined two vitally important Christian virtues. He was a man of truth. He was a man of love. 
So what I'm proposing to do this morning as we look at this text is to consider first of all the truth and then we'll consider secondly love and then thirdly the balance of truth and love that we find in Gates and uh, hopefully by God's grace can be found in us as well. So we start with the truth when Pilate asked the question of Jesus, what is truth? He raised an ancient question that man had been asking a long time and is still asking today. What is truth? There is, however, a new wrinkle when the question about truth is asked today. For modern man has become so skeptical that many have given up the idea that the truth can even be known. You can't know the truth. So today you will find those that will say, well, everything that works for me is true. And what doesn't work, obviously, doesn't matter. And that may well be the approach of some today, but it definitely wasn't the approach of the Lord Jesus. He affirmed while at prayer, talking with his Father in heaven, <coughs> Your word is truth. God's word is truth. And uh, that brings up the very simple question, how do we know God's word? I think the answer is unexpectedly simple. How do we know God's word? Listen to what God says. And where do we hear what God says while well, we hear that in the scriptures? Look at the Old Testament. Over 400 times the prophets are quoted as saying, Thus says the Lord. 400 times they are saying, God's word is truth. This is what he says. <coughs> Over 50 times they used a slightly different formula saying, the word of the Lord came to me saying. So it's beyond a doubt the prophets claimed they were speaking the word of God. They have claimed that again, and it would be tiresome, I think, to look up all those references. There are so many of them. The New Testament affirms <coughs> the same thing. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 
It also tells us that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Scripture. <coughs> Scripture is God's Word. Scripture is God-given. I see a glass of water. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Obviously, this is the claim that the Bible makes for itself. There's no question about that. So put it down as a certainty. The Bible claims to be the Word of God. Which means the Bible claims to be the truth. Now, if you can accept that claim, you're off and running. You have a firm grip on the truth. It's all in the Bible. But to many, a modern person educated in a modern school system, it sounds all too simple. Besides, in their thinking, there's a very circular view. How do you know the Bible is true? Well, the Bible says so. And how do you know what it says is true? Well, the Bible says so. And you can keep going around in that tight little circle. Uh, and for our philosophers and logicians, uh, well, they find that a bit much. And, and at this point, you can get into the whole field of apologetics and things can get very technical and complicated in a hurry. And uh, if it, we're not careful, we can get all tangled up with such things and forget all about Gaius, which is something I don't want to happen this morning. I began by saying I want you to remember Gates. So instead of getting into philosophical questions, let me simply say why I believe that the Bible's claim to be the Word of God is true. And I think back and, uh, well, my parents and the people that I admired in those days uh, believed the Bible to be true. And I was prepared to believe it to be true, too. But that only goes so far. What if my parents and the people I admired were wrong? I need a better argument than that. So I inquired what does the Bible say about me? What it told me wasn't very flattering. Told me I was a sinner. Told me that I liked my sin and that I didn't like God getting in the way. And consequently, I wasn't too happy about Him either. But when I thought about it, I couldn't deny it. I knew what it was saying about me was true. It knows me all too well. Then it went on to tell me God's answer 
for my sin. And it gave me hope. It told me about Jesus. And I found that Jesus is all that the Bible has to say about it. And this persuaded me that the Bible is true. It is God's word of truth. And it tells me how I can be rescued from my sinfulness. And I let that word lead me to Jesus. And I know the Bible is true. God's word is true. And if I didn't believe that, I would never have entered the ministry. In fact, I'd be hopelessly lost. So I take God at his word and I discover it to be a very liberating word, very liberating truth. Now, I don't know if Gaius went through some thought process like that or some different, different process, but somehow he became persuaded of the truth. Maybe he just took God at his word. That's not such a bad idea, is it? Take God at his word. What we do know is what verse 3 tells us. It talks about truth is in you just as you walk in the truth. Gaius had what Psalm 51 verse 6 calls truth in the inward parts. He heard the word of God. He evidently agreed with the word of God. He affirmed it and was convinced it's true. And then he began to let that truth work its way into his heart and life. He began letting it direct his thoughts and his actions. He began to walk in the truth, as verse 3 says. He began living as the truth taught him he should live. He began doing what the Bible says to do, and uh, not doing what the Bible says not to do. He took the Ten Commandments and lived by them, not as the Pharisees interpreted them, but as Jesus interpreted them. And so doing, he became a man of truth. The truth was in him. That's what the Bible says about James. Gotta say the same about you. It's the truth in you. And I have to ask that question too. Is the truth in me? Do you walk in the truth as Gaius walked? Do you keep the Ten Commandments? Do you keep all of them? I'll assume for a moment you're a believer in the Lord Jesus. You've heard the gospel and turned from your sin and embraced Jesus as your Savior. You've asked him for a new heart and life, 
very well. Are you living that life? Are you living the truth? It's not all that easy getting a reputation as being a man or a woman of truth. But Gaius had that reputation. John said the truth was in him and he walked in. John was with us today and he say the same of you. Let us see to it that we listen to the truth, that we embrace it, that we get it into our hearts and walk in it. Gaius did that. That's the first thing we read about him in 3 John. He was a man of truth. He walked in the truth. And now we'll move on and look at the second thing that we're told about Gaius. We're also told that Gaius was a loving man. John reports in verse 6 of those who have borne witness of your love before the church. They talk about Gaius and they talk about his love. Gaius was evidently noted for his love. Now, maybe before going further, we'll make sure we understand what the Bible means by love. Some have the idea that loving can be a matter of words. But John wrote in 1 John 3, verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Somehow, when it comes to love, words just don't cut it. Love is more than saying things. And love is certainly more than a feeling. I remember way back as a teenager hearing a definition of love that said it was a itchy feeling around the heart that you couldn't get out to scratch. And I thought, oh, that sounds pretty neat. That sounds real cool. But I have long since learned that love is not the feeling. Let me repeat that in case you missed the point. Love is not a feeling. The simplest definition I've ever heard of what love is, the one that says, love is giving. And there's no better illustration of that than our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.25 tells us that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ went all the way to the cross to give himself his very life's blood to redeem his church from its sins, to redeem his people, to redeem us from our sins. That's love. That's what love is like. It gives. The Bible speaks similarly of the Father's love. 
and you know this verse as well as I do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. John writes in 1 John 4.10, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Are, are you beginning to get the picture? God so loved that he gave his only Son. Jesus so loved that he gave his life for his people to be a propitiation for their sin. Love is giving. Love is giving of oneself. Giving of what one prizes most. If you want to know what love is, stand at the foot of the cross as our beloved Savior died. Love gives, if need be, all it has. Now, let's think about how this works out on the human plane in which you and I live. 1 Corinthians 13, that great love chapter of the Bible, tells us that love does not seek its own. Truly loving person isn't trying to promote his or her own importance, his or her own interests, his or her own desires. He is not like Diotrephes, whom we read in verse 9 here in John, 3 John. But he loves to have preeminence among them. You know that kind of person. They have to be first, they have to have it that way, they have to be number one. Love isn't like that. It seeks not its own. It doesn't parade itself, it's not puffed up, doesn't behave rudely, doesn't seek its own. All of which is the negative side of the picture, turning to the positive side. The loving person is always seeking to help, to care for the other person, to do what he can to make it easier for those around him. Romans 12, verse 10 directs us, be kindly affectionate to one another. And you can add Philippians 2, verse 3, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. The loving person suffers long, puts up with a lot of abuse, and keeps going. Because it's the other person that matters. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And always thinks better of the other person. Above all, he ministers to the needs he sees around him. This was Jesus on the cross, doing for us sinners what we couldn't do for ourselves. This was the Good Samaritan when he came across that beat-up Jew lying half-dead on the Jericho Road. 
He bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. This was Gaius, who, when the brothers and strangers came his way, did what he could for them, providing them with food and lodging, even providing money so that they could continue on their journey. Gaius gave freely and had the reputation of being a loving person. He fulfilled what Romans 12, 13 calls being given to hospitality. Gaius loved. Gaius cared. Gaius did whatever it took. And I say, what a great reputation. It isn't easy getting the reputation of a loving, giving person. such a person? Are you such a person? Are you known as a loving person, as a giving person, as one who really cares about the people who come your way and you be counted on? There are not many problems in this world that can't be solved when people get really serious about loving the people around him. Gaius was a loving person. And I trust you are too. Now, here's what I consider to be the really remarkable thing about Gaius. He had a reputation of being both a man of truth and a man of love. And this is the reason I really want you to remember him. Remembering, remember that he was both truthful and loving. Remember because he had knowledge and he had a heart. He had doctrine and he had grace. He had both. Gaius had both truth and grace. He had a balance of truth and grace, truth and love. Gaius was straight and loving all at the same time. Now, every now and again, you can meet someone that excels in one or the other. The man of truth can be straight as a narrow, upright as a hydropole, orthodox as the candles of dawn, and have no heart, caring nothing for the thoughts and feelings and needs for the people about him. Every now and again, 
I meet up with someone like that and say, uh oh, be careful. This was not this. That he was straight is beyond question. But he also had that heart that cared and ministered and showed mercy and grace to those about him. And then sometimes you'll meet up with people at the other extreme. <coughs> They're all love and grace. They ask no questions. They have hugs for everyone all around. They'll give you the shirt off their back. And there's no truth in them. They agree with every idea that comes along. They stand for nothing and have the backbone of a banana. And you probably met up with them as well. But that wasn't Gaius. He stood up for the truth and he cared greatly for people all at the same time. It was a balance we desperately need in countless lives today. Remember Gaius, the man of truth and grace. But I can't speak about Gaius without also speaking about the pattern that Gaius followed. For Gaius pattern his life of truth and love after the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a follower of Jesus. 1 John 1.17 tells us, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus taught all about grace and truth. Jesus taught all about love and truth. And more than that, he lived grace and truth as nobody else ever did. When he considered us sinners condemned to death by the justice of a holy God, he was ready to offer up his life in our place on the altar of the cross of Calvary. Scarcely for the righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus had the balance of truth and love no one else ever did. And he was the standard that Gaius followed. And he still was standing of the people of grace and truth. Well, how about you and me? Are you known as someone who stands for the truth? Are you known as a loving and caring person? Do you have the balance of Gaius and of our Lord Jesus Christ? The world, the church, needs more people like Gaius today. More men like Gaius. More women like Gaius. I find Gaius so challenging. 
only more grace and truth. I need to be more like Jesus. Will you join me in seeking to be more like Jesus? Will you join me in seeking to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ? Full of grace, love, and truth. Gaius, remember the name. G-A-I-U-S. And remember he was a man like Jesus, a man of truth and love. And may God move all our hearts to be more like Gaius and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.